Welcome to The Point with Mick Rich. I've got my good buddy here, Harvey Yates. I just want to make it clear to our, our viewers, Harvey, you contributed to my campaign when I ran in 18. I appreciated it. I want our viewers to know because it's important that we know where I'm coming from, but where you're coming from. And in, in in we started just chatting was, you and I have had no problem just saying it the way it is. That's why I asked you to come on the program. Well, we sure try, Mitch. I, I know you do. So, so how did the oil and gas industry get started in New Mexico? Well, you know, Mitch, the, uh, mo uh, one of the more interesting parts of that story is uh, what happened before the wells were drilled. In 1880, for instance, a geologist discovered in the San Juan Basin oil e oozing out of some caves. That's oh. a good sign. That, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, and around New Mexico, in a variety of places, there were seeps. There's one in, in the mountains between um, Wagon Mount, up above Wagon Mount, in the Sangre de Cristos, there's one, oh, for okay. instance, which is very interesting. There's one outside of Gallup. There are a variety of ones. But uh, before World War I, two fields were discovered in Texas. And they were gangbuster fields. They were the first fields in the Permian Basin. And geologists thought that the Permian Basin might extend over to New Mexico, or there might be other basins that were productive. So prior to World War I, a number of companies came over and started looking and drilling. And, and often, the exploration activity was based on these seeps the information oh, that I wondered about it because because back then they didn't have the technology that they have today they use what they call surface geology they map the surface right. to find structures and, and so forth now one of the indications of uh, oil was in the uh, Pecos River area you, uh, as the railroad went through the promoters or developers of the railroad down there had water wells drilled for the purpose of the, the railroad. Right. And they got artesian wells. Okay. I won't go into what that means unless you want me to. But, but they got just so, so our viewers, an artesian well is you drill the well and the water just bubbles out of the ground. The, you don't have to pump it. It comes to the surface. So that was remarkable. Yeah. And they used that to bring people into the area. Well, what, uh, was it all water that came up? There was often a skim of oil on oh. the, that water in the artesia, artesian wells. So explorers started looking in the Pecos River, uh, the Pecos Valley, on the west side of the river. Now we're talking the Pecos, we're up here, we're thinking up here Real towards dry. Santa Fe. But what we're talking about is down southern southeast, part. Southeast New Mexico. Right. So they were drilling, and a number of attempts were made to find oil and isolate it from the water. Sometimes they did find quite a bit of oil, but they could never get the water shut off. So um, at one point, um, uh, three people, 
decided that they were going to drill east of the river. And they would drill um, try, uh, because they thought a fault ran there. And they were going to drill to the same horizon, same geologic horizon, as produced the water. Right. And so they went, they did find a fault. Yeah. Where and the, the significance of the fault is it would block the flow of water coming from the mountains. Right. Okay. And they found a structure, and they drilled on the structure, and they drilled first uh, on uh, down on the structure and got a dry hole with a little bit of oil. Then they moved up the structure, and they drilled a gas well. They decided to use the gas for their last attempt, which was their third attempt. They were broke. They, <laughs> they, they started selling part of the lease that they got from the, the state land office in order to survive. They offered the drilling crew part interest in the well, the third well, in order to make it go. They drilled the third well, and they got the Illinois number three in 1924, which were the first com and discovered the first commercial field in the state. And then it's off and running. So here it is. We're talking what year? 1924 is when it came in. And then a few years later, we hit the Depression. We're going to have to get real, you know, we're getting close to this segment, Harvey. But what did the Depression do to the oil and gas industry? Well, the price of oil dropped to below a dollar. And uh, there's a great story as to what happened. But uh, for as to my family, my grandfather had discovered potash in, oh. in Eddy County. Right. And in order to survive, he sold the potash rights. And the potash industry was developed. Wow. He also had to do one other thing. He had developed with Continental a refinery we know as the Navajo refinery. In order there. to survive, he had to sell that too. Okay. That was the third field discovered in the Permian Basin. The other two were, were in Texas. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was isolated, it was in New Mexico, and they had to bring equipment in. And some of what they brought in was the material to frack wells. What was that? Nitroglycerin. In those oh. days, fracking, pe people misunderstand what fracking is. Fracking is simply to fracture the rock right. to allow uh, oil or gas to escape more easily. And so the me method used then was to drop a vial of nitroglycerin uh, down a well hole. It was not cased all the way down. It would blow up at a certain temperature and fracture the rock. The first well fracked in the state of New Mexico, as far as I've been able to tell, was in about 1908. That well, far back? That far back. And that was on the west side of the Pecos. It did, they had some oil and they fracked it and they got a, an ocean of water <laughs> instead. But as to the, the new field we talked about, which is called the Artesia field, they created then their own nitroglycerin plant in order to be able to have access to frack the wells. They drilled 40 some odd wells in this field. And before it was all over, it had produced 900 and some odd thousand barrels of oil. It was not as prolific 
as uh, the fields in Texas, but it was a start. It got the industry started. So, I, so for our, our viewers that, that are paying attention here, nitroglycerin is a pretty volatile chemical that's not easy to handle. There are some interesting stories about the transportation of oh. nitroglycerin which are beyond the scope of, of this. But right, but I mean, I've, I've read stories and discussed uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm -hmm. The Nobel Peace Prize came about with Nobel mm -hmm. discovered mm -hmm. dynamite that, yeah. and to save people from the nitroglycerin. Am I right? I think if I go I think back. That's, I think that's correct. Correct. So well, you ask about fracking. So along, yeah. uh, along the way, fracking, uh, change, technology. You've pointed out that there are technological changes. During World War II, there was a lot of effort put in to hydrology. And so some of the information uh, was used by the oil industry after World War II. Um, Pan Am and Halliburton, a company named Pan Am, which later, later became Amoco, and Halliburton used hydraulic fracking I believe it was in Kansas to fracture, hydraulically frack the first well, and that was in about 1947, right after World War II. The technology was then used in 1951 in New Mexico. And I would say 70% of the wells that were drilled before horizontal drilling ever started were fracked. So if they say we're going to end frac, uh, frac uh, your granddaddy used oil from fracked wells. Right. So if we go, so I, the question I have for you is we discussed at this level of technology of fracking using explosives or at that level, how far below the water table were they when they fracked? Originally you talked about they're fracking and they got water, which means they got to be in the water table. Well, in the, uh, simply because you get water, it doesn't mean you're in potable water table, but um, they initially started exploring in what you would call the water table because oil was coming out as well at that right. level. Subsequently, they were drilling below the potable water table and regulations were imposed where you have to case off the potable so water. So how long have they been casing that like that? Well, certainly all of my life. And uh, and you're an old guy. I'm an old guy. You're uh, an old guy, so. I'm older than either of the presidential candidates. Oh my God. <laughs> so. <laughs> that says a lot, Harvey. Yeah. So what we're talking about is that for a long time, people say, well, you're gonna contaminate the groundwater while you're fracking. But this has been going on for, we're talking probably a... Well, the first, uh, I've just explained that the first well was in 1924. Right. So fracking has been going on um, since 1924 in as to oil. But actually, there were experimental wells before, uh, okay. 1908, where they used fracking. Okay. So now the fracking technology, okay, so, so now you just had a vertical well and you fracked, and then you used explosive, you used hydraulics, you fracked it. Mm -hmm. Now we've, you've, the industry has gone to horizontal wells drilling, which always has amazed me that you could do directional boring, 
But we see that now even in the streets of Albuquerque when they put in underground utilities, sure. they do a horizontal drilling. So well, let's talk a, a little bit about why the horizontal drilling and why fracking is so important with it. It has to do with the horizons or zones they're drilling in. Right. Uh, during the vertical well era, we would drill repeatedly through shale zones. And the shale zones on the logs or on, on the equipment would show they had oil. But you, you very rarely could get it out because there was no permeability. Right. No capacity for oil or gas to move through the rock. And so uh, we did not try to produce, for the most part, in shale. The horizontal drilling, however, allowed a driller to drill through a shale zone, which is a tight zone right. without permeability. And in order to get oil or gas out of it, they often, in any, in commercial quantities, they needed to use the fracking technology that had been developed. So uh, when I was in college, I was working for a construction company that was purchased by a conglomerate out of uh, DC, uh, Dynelectron. And they had the uh, patent on recovering oil from the tar shales out of, uh, I'm thinking Wyoming, maybe the Dakotas. Or Canada. Or Canada, that's right. <coughs> and so this was to the liquefaction. So they would dig up the shale, run it through a process. And so what I'm hearing is instead of, it, that ended up, go, the price of oil dropped. It only worked when the price of oil was way up, the price of oil dropped, that went out the window. But what, what we're talking about here is being able to recover the, the oil in the ground, not having to dig it up, which would create, you know, so we're talking more environmentally friendly. Well, then digging it up. Oh, sure. yeah. So, okay, so then the question I have is, what are the hazards for fracking that you see? Yeah. Well, let's rephrase that. I went through, did my research, I looked it up, and it said, I can't remember what website it was that I went to, but it was, uh, what's the hazards of fracking? Groundwater contamination, we've talked about that. Spills, blowouts, damage to the environment. I have to, you know, and so we have that. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's, it, I do if you it. drilled a horizontal well, or for that matter, a vertical well, and fracked too close to the, uh, the water horizon, the potable water horizon, you might contaminate it. That's right. You, you might contaminate No question about that. Um, but these wells the, uh, in the Pecos Valley, for instance, the uh, wells, pro water wells probably don't go deeper than a thousand feet, for instance. Okay. The wells being drilled for oil and gas are 8,000 to 12,000 feet deep. In other words, two to three miles deeper than that, and the fracking takes place. Now, the driller has a great interest in not encountering water because if he fracks in, uh, at such a volume that it goes outside the shale zone or outside the reservoir, oil reservoir zone, into water, he's going to end up with a water well rather than an oil well. So 
Right. They, they attempt, they control that. There's another danger uh, related to fracking, and uh, we saw that in, in experience in England and, and I believe also in Oklahoma on a temporary basis. But um, they fracked into a fractured zone, into right. an area that was faulted. And it and faults are under the ground. There's right. one right under Albuquerque here, and uh, they are l latched together by pressure. Right. And if fluid gets in that fault, it will slip, right. creating uh, an earthquake. And that's what happened. I think I also read that it wasn't. They were also getting rid of waste water and pumping it into the ground well, as well. That's in, in, Oklahoma. In, in Oklahoma, what they found is it wasn't fracking, it was the water disposal getting into these That's correct, slip and, that's, and that's what I read as well. Harvey, I got some questions for you. One of them has to do with the Paris, uh, Paris Accords. President Trump walked away from those, and at the same time... Let me go into that just a little bit. Okay. You would think that um, in walking away, uh, the countries that remained in it would have cut CO2 emissions, for instance, more than this country. That's did. correct. But in fact, our CO2 emissions dropped from, from uh, produced by energy, right. dropped more than any other country. Now, why is that? What happened? Well, what happened is that we started converting to, uh, coal to natural gas. Now, there's also a conversion to uh, green energy. Uh, right. But we, we converted, we were uh, in, uh, I believe in 2019, at the beginning of 2019, I believe we were 33% energy uh, generation, electric generation from uh, natural gas, and now that's 38%. Right. And that replaced coal. And yeah. so our CO2 emissions from uh, energy activity in the country, which would include driving cars, et cetera, et cetera, dropped to 2.8%. Uh, the only country where that happened. That's right. So for our viewers, uh, what I th find is rather, it ties exactly with what you're talking about here is that uh, Williams Energy, I believe it was, put in a natural gas generator just off of Rio Bravo and Broadway. And that is for uh, using natural gas. P&M, I believe it's P&M, has a power plant over at Paseo de Norte near Jefferson. That is also natural gas driven. So we have that going on right now. And at the same time, Harvey, when we talk about natural gas, is that the Albuquerque Transit Authority has natural gas buses. And my company actually did a project for P&M where we put in a natural gas compressor, uh, not a, com yeah, compressor station for the Transit Authority right here on Yale. And I believe they have one maybe out on the west side. Now, at the same time, so we're talking about the heavy vehicles switching over to natural gas. We're talking about power plants switching to natural gas. Right now, natural gas, I, I haven't tracked the cost of it. But I do know that my heating bills are way down. You know why it's so cheap? 
because it's a by I understand it's a byproduct <laughs> of, of, of oil. Of horizontal drilling for oil. That's right. right. The price of natural gas several years ago was thirteen dollars uh, um, MCF, thousand yeah. cubic feet. Today it's probably two dollars an MCF. Right. So it's very very low. The country put in um, on on the ocean. Um, facilities to import natural gas because we needed it. Right. And now, because of the low price of natural gas, those facilities have been uh, turned to export natural gas. Oh, I didn't know that. So they do it, I would assume, out of Houston. There's several of them. I think there's some in Louisiana and Houston and so forth, yes. Right. I'll be... It's, I, I, I agree with you. When you look at the numbers, and one would think that by pulling out of the Paris Accord, you know, it would be just let the smokestacks go, but the exact opposite is I think happened. the Paris Accord had a lot to do with transfer of wealth from this nation to other nations. And, um, but when you get down to the basics, the important thing is the pollution. And um, to the extent that CO2 is a polluter. It, right. I mean, it comes from many other things than uh, energy production. We have dropped our emissions of CO2. That's correct. The other one I want to bring up is that, uh, so our, our listeners, is we talked a little bit about tertiary uh, oil recovery. But if I remember right, up in the Clayton area, they have CO2 wells. They drilled the wells to harvest the CO2 and I believe they piped it down to the Permian Basin back right. in the 80s <coughs> in order to, for recovery of oil. They That's don't right. do that anymore. They, they uh, pumped, uh, the oil reservoir dropped as oil was pumped out and they needed something to repressure the horizon, the, right. the uh, um, field, and they would use water in some cases and in other cases, they found that CO2 would work better. Right, and so I thought that that was an interesting way of getting rid of CO2. Well, that CO2 was underground, they drilled for it. Right. Brought, and you, yeah. But again, I think it's important for all of us to remember that CO2 just doesn't come from man-made. No, it doesn't. You, you know, efforts. Okay, the other question that, you know, these are gonna be some things that I've thought about over the years. Uh, and it wasn't just for me. As I went out on the campaign trail, I'm talking, I'm getting ideas. People are sharing with me. One of them has to do with, uh, we have Energy Star ratings on our appliances, right? You get a refrigerator, there's an Energy Star rating. Appliances. When it comes to I energy- I made uh, an unfortunate decision at one point, which was, to buy a washing machine that was very energy efficient. Not very good at washing clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and so the question that I have is, so the, the federal government is putting trillions of dollars into renewables, but right now they're not doing an analysis of is, does this have a, does this energy source have a smaller carbon footprint than this one? Prime example would be wind turbines. Do wind turbines have a smaller carbon footprint 
than a natural gas electricity generated by natural gas. If you take into account the mining to get the metals and so forth to generate, to create the wind right. turbine, the answer, I believe, is no. And, and, I, and I believe that, but we don't have in a, a government analysis or a private analysis. Same thing goes true for the solar panels. Well, there's, there's another thing, too. You know, our schools here depend on severance tax paid by the oil industry, taxes paid by the oil industry. The uh, wind generation and solar generation business is subsidized. Right. Why don't we impose, why don't we have a 6% severance tax on wind-generated, solar-generated energy to start replacing what is going to disappear if the oil industry disappears from New Mexico. I think that goes back to Michelle, our governor's policy, and saying we need to get separated from oil and gas. And this would be a great, so we're not dependent on oil and gas. This would be a great policy for our governor to follow through on what she's committed to and say. Sure, we need to support our schools. We, and right. and uh, so let's impose that severance tax, get them started, and start withdrawing the subsidies because government is subsidizing them and impose a severance tax so they can start replacing the oil industry. I think that'd be a wonderful policy. And it follows through on the governor's commitment to the people in New Mexico. I think that, tell you what, I, I don't always agree with the governor's policies, but I tell you what, I do agree with her policy there of getting, separating out, which means shifting the load. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. See the how other, that works. The other, the other one I wanted to talk to you about, so it's this about the, the federal government does you know, rate, uh, return on investment when they build dams, highways, re rate of return of investment. They need to be doing the same thing, a federal law, of doing that for the carbon footprint. So we, as we as taxpayers, have an understanding, is this one project better than the other? The other one that I want to talk to you about that I, I'm a little confused about is I've looked at it, we have electric cars. So we have electric generated, we have, we're generating electricity, then we're putting it into batteries. Now remember, a battery isn't creating energy, it's only storing energy. So now we've got a carbon footprint around that battery. And the question that I have is, why aren't we using hydrogen-fueled vehicles, natural gas, is a single, I, I looked it up, but hydrogen coming from natural gas, has, that is the single largest source of hydrogen. Yes. Why aren't we using hydrogen-fueled cells? Why isn't Namoga saying, and leading the way for the country, and saying, in the energy industry saying, natural gas, you just mentioned how cheap natural gas is. Why aren't we having refineries instead of refining oil, refining the natural gas, getting pulling the hydrogen off and having hydrogen vehicles. Well, of course they're doing that and it will t and that may be the way we're headed. Mick, I don't know. 
But uh, if you give them an incentive to refine and uh, refine out the hydrogen, bring it to the market, they'll do it. Uh, you have to create the market for it. And um, I, there are also people out drilling for hydrogen. It, there are oh, places yeah. where you can actually go drill for hyd hydrogen. And uh, so that may be the future. We'll see. I, look, I do believe that the future is with hydrogen. The batteries are a short-term fix. Well, we've been looking. Actually, in the 1980s, I invested in a company that was developing batteries. I thought they would uh, 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 for electricity. And that would be able to run buses and so on and so forth. Didn't work out. So far, it hasn't worked out. I keep hearing that someone is creating a battery that will be long-term. Haven't seen it yet. The, the federal government has been talking about energy independence for how long now? For a very long time. L let me, let's look at the background a little bit. Yeah. Several things happened which <coughs> created less and less production here. Um, this country used to be, uh, years ago, largest producer of oil, for instance. And that mantle shifted uh, to Saudi Arabia, for, in, uh, for instance. Right. But also natural gas. Um, the federal government discouraged the exploration for natural gas. How'd they do that? They price regulated it. And there's an interesting story there. The, uh, there was an effort to do something uh, in the federal legislation related to oil and gas, and Dwight Eisenhower uh, had learned that some guy in the oil business had attempted, he thought, to bribe a senator or a legislator, made him so angry that he agreed to the imposition of price controls on natural gas. Oh. Now, I, I greatly respect Dwight Eisenhower. Right. I greatly uh, uh, dislike corruption. And I don't know actually what happened there, but in any case, we had price controls through the 70s. The first shortage we had, had wasn't oil in that period of time. It was natural gas. Because you know, I people, do remember that. People were not drilling for natural gas. Right. And uh, um, finally, that stopped. And so natural gas could seek its price level. And people started drilling in this country for natural gas. Oil. Um, the price had stayed level since World War II at about $2.65 and uh, maybe cre crept, up, crept up a little bit uh, into the 70s, but not much. And so right. the uh, rate of inflation was much higher than, uh, than the price of oil. So the price of oil had, in effect, declined, and there right. was less and less and less oh, drilling. I got you. I can remember in high school buying a, a gallon of gas for 25.9. There, there you go. Well, in Saudi Arabia and in other countries, they had, I say they, we and the Brits primarily, discovered massive amounts of oil, and that kept the price down. And then they did, but they felt they were not getting enough for it, and so they created OPEC. Right. And they uh, uh, then an embargo on uh, 
oil coming into this country. And so we were reliant on the oil that was being produced. But it was also on the, on the international political side as well was the embargoes. And I think it had to do with our support of Israel. It goes back to the 67 war between, what was it, Israel and Egypt that we supported Israel. And there was, they had a penalty for us, if I remember right. And so the political side, and so they started exercising their political force. But there was, there was something else that happened that during the Reagan administration, and that is that Russia, uh, our adversary, depended on oil income. And Reagan uh, worked with the Saudis to drop the price of oil down to break Russia or dr oh, break the right. USSR. It uh, happened, it was successful, and uh, from a geopolitical standpoint, that was great. But if you were in the oil industry <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in this country, it was not so, uh, yeah. not so great. But uh, at that point where people were in line uh, for oil right. and people didn't have sufficient amount of natural gas, we decided that priority, one of our best, uh, most important priorities in this country was energy independence. Right. So we've worked a long time to get there, and this horizontal drilling, coupled with fracking, has brought us energy independence. Young people don't know how important, they haven't uh, stood in these lines or haven't uh, been in a line of cars a mile long and so forth waiting to fill their car up. But uh, we now have energy independence because of the horizontal drilling. Well, it, it also I wanted to talk about this. What it, I want to talk about the where we're at today. The other one has to do with uh, England when they discovered the oil off the uh, North North Sea. North Sea. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had experienced a huge economic boom, all of England, not just the North Sea, not just oil and gas. But I do believe that between President Trump's, you know, tax cuts, you know, that the deregulations, the tax cuts, but also with the oil and gas boom that we had, that we became energy independent, the fact is that energy once again became cost effective. That that created the economic boom, not just for New Mexico, but for the country as well. Sure, uh, sure it did because the price of oil dropped, factories run on it, price of natural gas uh, and, and so forth. And we uh, were not geopolitically uh, beholding to other countries. We That's could right. more or less, if we wanted, tell the Mideast Adios. If now we could, but several years ago we couldn't oh, do that. So it, I wanted to also then circle around to where you just mentioned was here it is. President Trump has moved our embassy to Jerusalem. Now every president—I don't say every president—but I'm thinking from probably Reagan on, of all committed to move the embassy to Jerusalem. He did that. He followed through a commitment to that. Then all of a sudden, you had what the United Emirates recognized Israel. All of a sudden, you have 
a number of under, other countries recognizing Israel, all of a sudden we have less American troops in the Middle East than we've had for decades. And why? Because we are not beholden on the oil coming out of the Middle East. And it comes from your industry, Harvey, is your industry has had a huge impact on our country and the world. We're seeing peace breaking out in the Middle East. Why? Because other countries, not only we're not beholden the Middle Eastern countries, but the world isn't. We've broken that lock on them. Uh, Mitch, I, I sh need to mention, mention that this came about because of the entrepreneurship of several independent oil producers scattered around the country. That is the innovation to create the horizontal drilling and then come back and apply the fat fracking program with it has created the energy independence for us. Tell you what, that to me is huge. So out of curiosity, I, I you know, been around a little bit, not as much, but you know, traveled the state. Uh, but you know, the Yateses have been down in southeast New Mexico since the 1920s. Uh, since 1907, Mitch. Ni 1907, <laughs> and then the Andersons, right? Andersons came in uh, later. Uh, R.O. Anderson, who you're talking about, who is a great success story in, right. in two ways. He discovered the Empire Abo oil field, which was probably, probably became the largest oil field in the state of New Mexico for years. This is pre-horizontal drilling. And he bought and uh, renovated the refinery my grandfather had to sell during the depression. Oh. And oh, uh, that, oh, no kidding. That, so that uh, became uh, the, a, a great success story. And he eventually uh, became um, chairman of uh, ARCO. Right. And they, among other things, went to Alaska. Many people won't like to hear this, but went to Alaska and discovered the first producing wells there. And when we're talking about it is, we're also talking about the Anderson School of Business. That's right. right here at UNM. It's not just about money. It's not just about, it's not, it is about the differences that the oil and gas. So you have the Andersons, and then the Chases are down there as well. Mac Chase uh, is a remarkable guy. He started as uh, having a pulling unit. In other words, it, it was a rig that worked on wells to uh, run tubing and so forth to repair them and so forth. That was where he started. He and a, uh, and a fellow who was in the pumping business, Johnny Gray, got together and created a company named Marbob. Unfortunately, Johnny Gray Sr. passed away several years ago. Mac is still with us. But, but they've created, uh, they created, they separated, but right. created a great business. Uh, there have been others, right. Mitch, but uh, you've, you've named three different families. Right, and I, and I, yeah, it's been, the oil and gas industry has been huge for our country. It's been huge for our state. Harvey, it's great having you here today. I appreciate it. I just resent your pointing out that you're <laughs> younger than I am. But otherwise, I've enjoyed being here. Harvey, always good seeing you. This is Mick Rich, and to the point.